Freelancing for Journalists is sponsored by The Tax Farm, the accountancy service dedicated to freelancers, the self-employed and small business owners. Imagine no more end-of-year panic or nasty tax surprises. The Tax Farm can't promise that they'll make you less busy, but they can promise to take away the grind of bookkeeping, freeing you up to do what you do best. With a simple fixed fee, they make hiring an accountant easy. They're also offering our listeners an exclusive 15% discount with the code FFJ15. You want to find out more? Then head to thetaxfarm.co.uk. and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. So we're recording this episode at the start of December. I can't really quite get my head around everything that's happened this year. Um, It's been a crazy one, but we're going to try and end the year on a positive note and... For me personally, that means having some time off between Christmas and New Year. Um, this week has been particularly bonkers. I've been working sort of 15 hour days. I need a break. Yes, me too. Can I have a break too, please? I've been in spreadsheet hell this week. Just Excel um, nightmares. Um, but actually, I am going to really try and have off... Um, that time between Christmas and New Year. And I think that's the first time I've planned to do absolutely nothing over the holidays in years. I'm actually gonna fully close the door of my office and leave it closed. I might even tape it off so I can't be tempted to go in there. Um, I've also decided to run hundred miles in December. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So I've said that in public now, so everyone has to hold me to it. Um, Cause I'm gonna try and get 2021 off to a good start and get that work-life balance <laughs> right yeah we'll see (laughs) right okay on to our topic this week which is about writing for specialist publications as is obvious from our intros Emma and I both have our little niches and we write for specialist titles as well as doing more mainstream stuff yeah so this is actually the kind of main thing I do I I write for a number of medical journals and trade publications for um, GPs and for pharmacists um, but I have also been a health reporter for BBC News Online, so I have worked in, in both these worlds. Yes, and when we were asking our community for podcast topics, this one came up quite a few times. People have been asking us how to get into writing for specialist titles and how to go from specialist writing to more general publications, but also whether it's useful to develop a niche or remain a generalist. Yeah, so... I started out only wanting to write about science and medicine. So I'd done a bit of a pivot because I'd done a biomedical science degree um, but decided I hated doing the science bit. So I wanted to write about it. So it was a very targeted sort of career plan for me. Um, but Lily, you've you've done a bit of everything and your expertise in writing about financial journalism, that's been more of a recent sort of addition. So how did that happen for you? Yeah, I guess it just evolved naturally, really, um, when I started freelancing, because that's 
kind of what I was interested in, sort of money, personal finances, consumer affairs. My first paid piece of freelance work was actually with the Guardian money section. And that was just because the idea I had kind of fitted with them best. And that was really a springboard for all other work after that. So it, it just so happened that it sort of started to be around money. Um, but I did used to be a health reporter on a regional newspaper. So I still enjoy writing health stories. Um, and as listeners will probably know, because we do mention it every now and then, um, I'm also obsessed with running. So I do like to write quite a lot about running and fitness. And that sort of fits under the lifestyle banner. So I guess really I have three specialisms, money, health, lifestyle, but I suppose that really makes me a generalist, not a specialist. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, it just shows that as journalists, we, you know, we can do a bit of everything. That's what freelancing is about. Yeah, making, just kind of making the most of all those opportunities. Uh, so let's do our top tips quickly before we bring in our guests. So my tip this week is that whoever you're writing for the thing you have to keep in mind is the audience so um if i'm writing about covid vaccine developments for gps for example there's a there's a kind of certain level of knowledge there so you're coming at that from a different place than you would be writing about it for the general public and you might feel daunted by that at first but actually it's actually quite simple to get your head around this it's just about reading previous articles in whatever publication it is that you're writing for and that gives you that immediate sense of kind of where to pitch that level and um, it also means it doesn't have to be very formal or technical you, you still need good clear writing um, but yeah it's just kind of keeping that audience at the front of your mind yeah and my tip is actually a bit more sort of practical I guess something hands-on that people can do and that's um don't be afraid to tweet your email signature when you're pitching a specialist idea, especially if you're more of a generalist. So you you should have an email signature sort of under your name that, that says what your experience is and, and titles you've worked for with, with hyperlinks in there. Um, but I do play around with mine depending on who I'm pitching to. Um, so I will have more relevant links. So if I'm pitching for a health story, I'll just have the links to the health stories I've written in the health publications, and then I'll take out the money ones. So I don't think it's cheating by any means doing that. I think you're just simply putting the most relevant information about yourself in front of the editor. And to be honest, my email signature is constantly changing because of that. Yeah, that's actually really good. Uh, helpful tip I you know people might think that once they get their email email signature there that, that it's just kind of set in stone so marvelous right let's bring in this week's guests and um, first we have with us Matt Parker he's a music journalist and lecturer and um, who over the years has interviewed some bona fide legends like Jimmy Cliff David Crosby slash as well as modern icons in the making like the Black Keys the 1975 and Laura Marling and um, since going freelance in 2012 He's forged a career writing for specialist musical, uh, specialist music titles, uh, including electronic sound guitarist, prog and total guitar. This summer, he launched creativemoney.co.uk, which aims to break the stigma of talking about money in creative professions and share resources um, around making creative work more sustainable. Hi, Matt. Thanks for coming on. Hello. Thank you for having me. And we also have Surat Sharp. Sura is a freelance journalist, editor and copywriter based in London who specialises in technology. 
He's written for the BBC, The Independent, The Guardian, Business Insider, Computer Weekly, Lonely Planet and more. He's held freelance editor positions at Wired UK and New Statesman Tech and is currently a contributor for Forbes. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having me on. Okay, let's dive straight in with your top tips. Matt, what is that key bit of advice for someone looking to write for a specialist title? Um, well, I swam around on this for a while and <laughs> someone said it to me the other day and actually, it's, you know, sometimes you need to hear a thought from someone else for it to kind of crystallise. Um, and yeah, a guy called Alan Donegan, who's been a little bit of a mentor to me, said um, split focus equals split results. And, you know, I've, I've pitched far and wide in the past, but I've actually always had most success within a certain niche. And I think that's because actually I know what I'm doing. I can focus on that. And I think when I'm trying to think too widely um, and about too many different topics and too many different outlets all at once, um, it doesn't usually work out that well for me in terms of my pitching success. So I think that's really helpful. Split focus, split results. I like it. A little mantra that we can say to ourselves. (laughs) It's a bit cheesy, but it works. (laughs) And Suraj, same question to you then. What would your top tip be for an inspiring specialist journalist? I think my main advice would be um, to not be deterred by anything that sounds overly complicated. So when you kind of first, um, you know, introduce yourself to a topic or a theme, you always, you know, read up on the, the area. And sometimes it can be a bit daunting hearing all these acronyms and, you know, jargon, which you're not used to or familiar with. So, um, you know, don't be t- deterred initially. Um, do some research. There'll be, always be an area which is easier to grasp um than others so to to get your foot in excellent advice there okay let's find a bit more about um how you both got into writing about your niche um matt why why music journalism i i think i'm right that you were a teenager when you first started writing about music yeah yeah so i it was just you know just that teenage thing i you know loved music got heavily into it and just wanted to discuss it and started writing uh, about it. I, I started what I guess you'd call a blog, but it was on like tripod site builders before blogs were even, before that was even a common term. Um, and just as a side of that, I'd, uh, I, I wrote off to a bunch of like punk labels around Europe and just said literal, literal letters to these labels and said, I'm starting this website. Would you like to send me your albums? And I was about 14, 15 and they, they did. <laughs> So I just started getting all these records through the post, much to my absolute delight. Um, and I was kind of hooked at that point. So, um, yeah, that's how I kind of got into music journalism in general and that kind of carried on through university. And then it actually wasn't until I tried to just get a job after uni. In I graduated into the financial crash, the 2008 crash. Um, I couldn't get a job. You know, I was going for all sorts of like graduate schemes and things I didn't really want. And uh, clearly they could tell. <laughs> so and I just sort of started writing again and managed it just went into eventually paid internships and work and um eventually a staff job at Total Guitar magazine in about 2010 I think I started that and then I was freelance from 2012 um so yeah kind of a potted history <laughs> and so how about you how did you end up in the tech world um, I suppose I kind of fell into it a little bit. Um, so I uh, applied for a 
graduate scheme at Incisive Media. Um, and the kind of choices were either finance or tech, um, if you did get through. Um, and finance really wasn't my kind of thing. So um, tech um, sounded good to me. Um, little was I to know it wasn't really about iPads and uh, laptops. It was more about kind of cybersecurity and uh, you know, data and data centers and things like that. So it's a little bit more techy than what I was, um, you know, preparing myself for, but it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been good for me because, um, after the experience there, I've, uh, been able to freelance, um, and kind of cut a niche for myself. Yeah. I mean, how, how useful, cause we get asked this quite often, um, from journalists who are kind of starting out freelance and feel that they may, be too broad or they haven't got a focus and they ask us if it would be useful for them to develop a niche and that what do you think about that can that be kind of helpful in gaining kind of expertise in one field yeah I think it's actually a bit less about the expertise you have and more about just narrowing your market so you just have somewhere to start I think I think we I certainly I still get this now but I think you know when you try and approach everything you, you can just get lost in the weeds. You don't really make any inroads in any one direction. So just setting a niche for yourself can actually be quite helpful in terms of just making a start. And you, you know, you don't have to be in that niche forever. It's not your whole life. It's just a place to start from. So I think if you start targeting that, getting to know those publications really well, getting to know the tone of voice, the readerships, the language of those, um, it's a really good way into freelancing, I think. Yeah, and it's it is about getting to know those those titles, like you say. And I just wonder, Suraj, how have you kind of gone about finding specialist publications to write for? So, um, for me personally, I knew a lot of the publications on the market because they were competitors for when I was working at Incisive Media, um, which I was, I was there for five years or so. But um, in terms of Kind of advising other people to how to find some of these publications obviously the easiest way would be you know google search or something like that but um i actually think looking online at, at certain journalist profiles and seeing you know who they've written for especially freelance journalists um and if there's a particular title that they want to write for um you know then perhaps look at their profile and see who they you know who these journalists have written for beforehand because a lot of the time to get to the BBC or, or whoever else, they've had to write for lesser known, more specialist publications first. And perhaps these are the ones that, um, you know, younger journalists um, need to look at to, to write for first. Yes, I mean, those specialist publications, and I've certainly found this kind of where I started in my career can be really good um, kind of training grounds, um, I think. Um, but I, I don't, I wonder if, um, kind of freelancers might worry about how to pitch to those publications or how to get their foot in the door in the first place because they might be feeling a bit um intimidated maybe by the fact that they are specialist titles um Suraj do you have any thoughts on that yeah I could definitely see why because you know especially if, if it's just a new area to to someone you would be a bit reluctant to maybe get in touch but you've got nothing to lose most editors um, yes, they are very busy, but they, you know, for, for a lot of these specialist titles, they will respond if, if someone is looking for freelance work and, you know, be able to offer some tips or, you know, at least 
respond to you know some of your pitches and if they don't you, you know you haven't got anything to lose uh by just attempting to reach out to them um and a lot of them will eventually if they like an idea of yours or they might work on an idea of yours and develop an idea um they might commission you yeah i mean i found that they're quite good at giving feedback as well um and kind of you know re responding um so matt how about you have you got any tips about uh, pitching or kind of making that first uh, contact with a, a specialist publication? Well, a lot of the, the general advice for freelancing still applies in niche publications. So know that you're talking to the right person, that you're pitching for a section that does actually commission work, um, that you're using yeah, a tone of voice appropriate to the publication. Um, so I think all of that stuff still goes, all that skill set that, you know, people have developed in their you know, in their education as journalists, whatever form that might have taken, still applies in, in the sort of the niche world. Um, and then I think it's just remembering that they are specialists. So you might need to go just a little bit deeper than you would if you were pitching the same, say, interviewee. You know, I write a lot for guitar magazines, so I wouldn't, you know, pitch that piece to a guitar magazine in the same way that I might pitch it to a more mainstream music publication or culture section or whatever. I'm going to include stuff about I'm going to go and find out a bit more about maybe what kind of gear they use and stuff like that. I might um, find out if they, for instance, have a, if it's someone of fairly significant status and they've got a really good guitar collection where we can get a photo shoot with them and stuff like that can be really helpful. Um, so yeah, just actually taking it a little bit in further with the detail that does pertain to the, the specialism. I think is important just a little bit anyway just to show that you're thinking about that angle and I wonder as well how much of an expert you need to be in your field as well or whether that kind of comes over time because obviously Matt you were obviously really into music and you were being sent all this like free music to to listen to when you were younger and kind of doing it off your own back um, but I think we all know that we kind of, to a certain extent, fake it till you make it, you know, we're kind of winging it a little bit. And actually as journalists, our job is to kind of be the layperson in a way so that we can explain things to the audience. Um, but with specialisms, I'm sure that's, you know, that's slightly different. Um, I, I just wonder perhaps, Suraj, if we bring you in here, like you, you mentioned that you thought you, you'd be writing about iPhones and you actually ended up writing about cybersecurity. So do you just have to kind of swat up on stuff really quickly? Yeah, I, I think so. I think you you end up having to learn a lot on the job. Um, and so for, for freelancers, it's obviously it would be an even steeper learning curve, perhaps. Um, and I think maybe that's where people might have the edge if they've, you know, worked somewhere in terms of um, they might have a little bit of extra knowledge but it's something that freelance journalists can can learn in their own spare time if they do enough reading uh, around the topic and a lot of these topics are now becoming very mainstream so cybersecurity is a great example of that where you see it in in pretty much all of the mainstream publications so um you know you can actually have enough knowledge it's more about finding that right topic and angle um that a journalist uh, that an editor would actually like to to read about or to publish on their on their site um, and that is the harder thing to do, perhaps, if you don't have an extensive knowledge, but it doesn't mean that um, you might not have a good idea. 
And you'll probably find that your your specialism kind of takes you in unusual routes anyway. So when I started, I really thought I would be writing about kind of the latest scientific developments. And I spend 95% of my time writing about NHS policy and politics and funding. And that's kind of where, or even kind of drug supply chains and just stuff kind of the politics kind of around things. Um, and yeah, so I think, you know, don't necessarily be put off by thinking, I don't know anything about, you know, I only know about this kind of thing because that knowledge grows over time. You've kind of just got to say yes to stuff until, um, you know, <laughs> just say yes to stuff. That's my only advice, say yes to things. And um, so how do you find what your niche might be? If you're thinking, oh, well, they're saying it's a good idea to have a niche. Um, how do you how do you start if there's not something kind of obvious? Um, Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think there's there's two questions that come to mind here that you can ask yourself. Um, one is, you know, what what do you like to spend your time doing? Where do you naturally sort of flow to? What you know, what are you an expert on to some degree already? So. And, and, you know, so the related second question is really like, what do people come to you and ask you about? You know, are you spending a lot of time helping people fix their phones or talking about films or, you know, riding bikes, like bike trails? <laughs> like, are you talking about music? You know, the next guitar you're going to buy? You know, in, in the sort of the specialism niche world that I come from, it's all about really hobbies and how you spend your entertainment time. Um, so it's less about, oh, can I yeah, become an expert in this, you know, like in like say cybersecurity or something like that. And it's more about thinking about how, how are people spending their, their leisure time and how can I kind of reflect that? Um, so yeah, what do you like to spend your time doing and, and what do people come to you and ask you about can sort of help you identify that, I think. It's interesting because I always thought I was gonna be a film journalist because I've always been really into film. Um, and I did do um, work experience at Total Film Magazine, um, which I still subscribe to to this day. I have an entire bookcase of <laughs> Total Film Magazines. But the work experience really put me off wanting to be a film journalist because I thought, oh, this is just going to destroy my sort of passion for film because you kind of get to see behind the scenes and how unpleasant some people can be and how competitive it is and actually I was just interested in the final product and the reviewing side of it but there's so much more to it um, and so it's interesting how you know a lot of people like yourself Matt might have gone down the route of something they were really passionate about um, but I wonder if for others they want to kind of keep separate what they're what their hobbies are to, to what their work is so that they've got that defining line I just want I wonder what what your thoughts were on that Matt yeah uh totally agree to some to some level I actually did a film degree and uh that put me off film <laughs> so um and then I think music was always kind of like my private personal thing and you know so it stuck with me for that but I think I've been lucky in that I've been, because I'm working for music making publications more than general music journalist publications. And even the, the more general music journalism I do is still for publications that have like pretty specialist remits, you know, electronic sound, prog music, whatever it is. And so I'm really talking to people about the things they're really 
genuinely passionate about and they're usually quite excited it's usually quite a break from the usual kind of you know press press trail around an album to actually come and talk about guitars and stuff like that they actually I'm told anyway look forward to those conversations so it's maybe a little bit easier and that keeps it from becoming you know disenfranchising basically um I do you know there are times I've still met you know um don't know what an appropriate term would be bad people that I didn't like um and didn't get on with and thought were wasting my time um, and clearly felt the same about me. Um, it does happen. Fortunately, most of those people aren't the ones whose music I like. So I haven't had that heartbreaking moment yet. Um, I'm sure it will come though. Uh, yeah, I've yet to meet Bob Dylan. <laughs> and Suresh, what about you? Do you, um, I mean, are you genuinely interested in technology? Is that something you would, if you know, outside of work, is that something you're, you're kind of following or do you have any way of kind of separating it out I suppose um yeah I suppose it's kind of going back to what I said before I, I actually in terms of journalism I always wanted to be a journalist but I was more interested in the sports side so sports was kind of what I would have wanted to write about um and when the decision was between finance or tech it kind of made me realize of it I've got an interest in tech as I said before it was kind of the iPads and that side but actually what I've learned um, about how important tech is to everything and how it essentially keeps the world running. Um, and it's essentially allowed me to write about every industry because without tech, you know, it's, tech is in kind of every industry. So in that sense, it's kind of been good to separate that from sport, which I still now read as a pastime. I read, you know, other football journalists and um, I can watch you know, programs on it. Um, and separate myself from it um, because like you say I think a lot of journalists that go into a root of their passion many of them love it and some of them do end up getting a bit sick of sick of it because it's their kind of job um, and their hobby um, so yeah I think for me it's worked out quite well. It's interesting you say that because I always find that about health journalism that you can I'm very very specialist but you can find yourself covering kind of business, politics, case, you know, um, court cases, or, you know, so many different kind of aspects. Um, I am really interested to pick your brains about moving from kind of between mainstream and specialist work, because this is something that I am um, want to be able to do more. I want to be able to do more kind of mainstream stuff, but I think I've created such a niche for myself that there's such a demand that I just get kind of sucked into writing for the same kind of six publications that I always and kind of chasing my tail trying to keep up with that and never seem to be able to kind of get off that treadmill to find new publications or even though I've got a massive ideas list I mean I think the advice is going to be I mean you've just got to do it but um I'd be interested in um Suraj in what your if you've got any advice there on kind of moving between those two I mean, I, I would actually say I, I was stuck in the same kind of, maybe it was like a rut, a little bit of a rut where I was just doing the same thing. And also you always have that kind of imposter syndrome where you think, oh no, I can't write for, um, you know, the BBC or anyone. Um, so you, you end up um, just thinking, oh no, I'll just put it off and, and never actually pitch them. But yeah, I, I don't actually have any other better advice for you apart from just, just um setting aside time and doing it and maybe maybe just um separating what what works for the the companies and publications that you currently do you know work work for and what pitches are more likely to work for a 
mainstream audience and also looking out for what is being written for the mainstream audiences, because, which I'm sure you do, but um, there's probably a lot of the same ideas you had, which someone else has actually written for, you know, some of those titles. So, yeah. Yes, that is all good advice. This is my plan for 2021. The problem is it's been my plan since I left my staff job at BBC News Online. So, yeah, we will see how that goes. Um, Matt, have you got any advice on that, on kind of, um, is there a risk that you get too stuck in a in a specialist, in a specialist? Yeah, I mean, I was listening very intently there to Siraj because, like, I'm the same, really, as, as you, Emma. I've definitely felt that rut, um, even though it's stuff I love doing, you know, music journalism has its other um, downsides too, like rates, for example. Um, so I definitely have thought a lot about moving beyond that. I mean, part of what I've done with the website with Creative Money is to kind of allow me to kind of build up more of a uh, kind of a, a background in financial and personal finance writing, but particularly I think there's an expanding market for kind of things about the freelance economy and so on as well. So I'm thinking in those terms, but also I think the other thing that I would say and that has helped me before is thinking of it as kind of like lily pads and stepping stones, whichever metaphor, <laughs> you know, works for you. Um, Cause I, you know, I used to think, oh, I just write for guitar magazines, you know, and then I moved over. I eventually got a chance to write for Prog Magazine and Electronic Sound. And then this year I've been writing a bit for DJ Mag. Um, and I kind of, I actually, you don't need permission to just pitch these places. You can just go and do it if you just be bold, like Siraj was saying. But I found that I had to kind of give myself a route to do that. It was just something, some quirk of how my mind works. So I kind of thought, well, I've written a lot in guitar journalism. I've interviewed quite a lot of prog, you know, expansive guitar types for uh, the guitar mag. So I can kind of use that to help build my links. I also had a personal, uh, you know, just a, friend basically who freelanced there and also gave me an intro which is always really helpful um but that kind of allowed me to kind of like trick my brain into thinking yeah I can totally do that and so then I moved into there and then I kind of thought well I've done a bit more general music journalism now now I can start to you know look at somewhere like you know electronic sound or other kind of niche niche music journalism publications I've shown that I can write in that kind of specialist format so I kind of even though ostensibly they're all music journalism, you still create these little ruts, these thorough furrows for yourself in your own mind um, and just think about, okay, well, what can I do to that will bridge my way into that, that thing that I want to do uh, has been helpful for me. I just, yeah, I just wanted to, to add as well that, um, you know, the way I actually ended up doing it, kind of pitching the BBC, for example, was um, someone was following me on Twitter who was a, a, a editor at um, the BBC um, and they've been following me for quite a while and I just had an idea and I thought that this idea is, is really good and I think a lot of the, the um, publications that I usually write for would, would go for it but I just thought why not just you know send him a DM on Twitter uh, to see what he said and actually he he responded and he said look I'm, I'm actually leaving but why don't you send this to my um, you know my pre predecessor um, no sorry my <laughs> successor even um, and uh, he um yeah and I did and he he loved the idea and I've been working with that editor ever since so it kind of just goes to show it was just you know let me just see what happens and, and let me try it and uh, it worked. That is really good advice because I think we can all get stuck in that once you kind of have contacts and editors that you work for regularly we can definitely get stuck in that 
oh, we'll just send them the idea because they know who I am and they're perhaps more likely to say yes than kind of taking a step back and thinking, who else could I pitch this to instead? And I think we've all learned um, this year, more than any other year, that we need kind of lots of strings to our bow and lots of different places that we work for to in order to kind of make sure that we're sustainable and not putting all our eggs in, in one basket. Um, have you found that there's kind of a different expectation, Suraj, in, um, from the editors, kind of how much attention did you need to pay when you kind of started writing for specialist publications on the style of writing that they used, kind of how technical you needed to be? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there is a difference. I think there's also this um, assumption that your audience knows a lot of, about what you're talking about. Um, so, you know, you don't have to explain everything in layman terms, but that means, that kind of means that you also have to know exactly what you're talking about a lot of the time. So even though it's sometimes shorter and more succinct than, than it would be in a mainstream publication, it kind of means that you really need to know how to, how to make those articles, um, you know, more concise. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I was having this very um, issue yesterday when I was writing for a specialist health publication and I was doing interviews and people were talking to me in acronyms in the interviews, um, you know, people in the medical profession, because they assume that because I'm writing for that publication that I understand all the acronyms. Um, and there were a few there <laughs> that I didn't, but I just wrote them down and then had to go away and find out what they were. Um, but you do have to be quite on the ball with all that, um, especially from the interviewing point of view, because people kind of assume, you know, you're a specialist in this area, so you, you've got to know your stuff. Um, something, just one last little question I wanted to pick up on, because we briefly mentioned this before, was about rates. Um, and I just wondered in your experience, experience um whether you find rates are similar um sort of in in specialisms than in, in mainstream journalism or if they're less or they're more i mean i found it's quite a mixed bag um but matt you sort of mentioned music journalism the rates aren't aren't great yeah i don't think that's a secret that um if it's you know they like to pay you less in music journalism and uh just because i think it's just supply and demand. There's loads of people that want to work in music journalism. There's loads of people that will work for free in music journalism. I think that puts a downwards pressure on the prices. So it's almost, yeah, it's, I think some niches can be much more lucrative because there's less demand, there's less supply, a lower supply of writers willing to work in that niche. Um, but that is not the case in music journalism. Rates are usually much worse, maybe half what, half or a third what you might get at broadsheets, for example. Um, yeah, so I would probably leave it there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but suffice to say, though. unsurprisingly, music journalism does not pay as well. So, and, and um, what about tech journalism? Because you'd think that would pay well. Yeah, I think it might be slightly above the the usual rates. I'm not sure, um, to be quite honest. Um, but I think the the bigger thing with tech is that it opens up a lot more of opportunities in terms of the commercial side. Um, there's a lot of demand for, um, especially business tech, commercial work. 
um, and that extends to kind of you know hosting at events and um, you know a whole host of other kind of things uh, as well. So um, yeah, it's more the kind of uh, what, what other commercial opportunities there are. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, I guess it's the same in anything is, is like you say, there's things like copywriting and events and that, that side of thing. There's a whole other income stream there. Okay, well, that actually leads quite nicely into our listener dilemma of the week. Um, this is the new section of our podcast where we put our listeners question to our guests and try to fix a problem that they've been having. Yes, so this week's dilemma was posed um, on our Facebook page by Ukasha Kezakar, and I really apologise if I've pronounced that wrong. Um, she asked, how do you manage your time when you're juggling multiple projects, writing submissions, writing contests, blogs, Instagram write-up that may all have clashing deadlines? Um, I wish I knew the answer to this. Um, I kind of yeah write lists have a vague kind of thing of everything I need to get done every day so that I don't um drop the ball I have at various points tried tools like um kind of Trello and things like that to help me um kind of manage but then I've just gone back to just writing lists on a piece of paper on my desk I think that's the only way I can kind of that just it you know I like that kind of action of crossing it off I find that I don't kind of use um, kind of apps and that kind of thing. Uh, Lily, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I clearly don't uh, do this very well if this week's anything to go by. Um, but yeah, I write lists. I have post-its. I, I ran out of post-its the other day and it was like a disaster. I was like, I can't cope without post-its because I, I have a list in my diary, but then that fills up really quickly. So I have to have like little lists and then I have post-its around my computer to remind me to do things. Um, but yeah, lists and also I kind of try and plan a week ahead in my diary a sort of month a loose month ahead and then a more detailed week ahead and then a very detailed day um so I kind of break it down in that way so Raj have you got any advice on this one it's funny funny you guys say that about your lists um because I've bought myself a kind of small whiteboard <laughs> which I can um <laughs> So that way I don't lose the papers with, with all the lists or, or not or run out of papers or, or whatever. Um, but um, as well as that, I, yeah, I've got a physical diary. Uh, I prefer that to, to the, the ones on, on, online um, just so I can, I know exactly what I'm doing and I feel like I'm, I'm more in control of everything and uh, can change it around. Um, and I just, I don't ever say yes to deadlines, which I definitely can't make, but that doesn't mean uh, I don't take, still take on too much work. What about you, Matt? How do you get organised? Um, the, the, there's a few things I've found that do work for me. I've tried a lot of things and a lot don't work for me. I have definitely struggled, still struggle. Um, one thing that does work, though, is uh, I, I don't know if the technique's got a name, but you kind of you give something a rating out of three for urgency and out of three for importance. And then you you basically multiply the two numbers together. And, you know, the highest number is the most urgent, most important thing. Um, I think it might be something, it's a bit like the Eisenhower matrix, which is a similar kind of principle. I don't know if you've come across that before. Um, but yeah, so try and think about things in terms of what is most urgent and most important, because important is not the same as urgent. Um, and, and that really helps me prioritize. And then the other thing I actually do depend on uh, the, the software. So I use Apple reminders. I used to use Todoist, it works pretty much the same way. Um, and I use the calendar 
as well on my computer and I just drag things around and you know every time I miss my deadline I just drag it on a few days and then you know um or other tasks you know I can swap them around easily that and I prefer that to crossing things out on paper and getting confused basically I was um, waiting so, yeah. to yeah I was waiting to see if one of us might actually make use of technology if we're all, <laughs> we're all just there with our <laughs> pads of paper um, the other one that I probably should have mentioned is that if you're kind of really up against it is that a Pomodoro technique where you kind of time yourself, set a timer and just kind of do the task and shut everything else off. I had to do this yesterday where just kind of social media and every other thing that I had email just was closed down um, and just had to do it. But yes, um, that's some really great advice. So it's time to bring this episode to um, a close. Thanks so much to Matt and Suraj for their help and fantastic advice on today's podcast. If you I want don't... to know, if you <laughs> <Sorry>. want, that's to... <laughs> all right. It's all right. Go on. What were you going to say, Matt? I was going to say it was a pleasure. I'm, I was very happy <laughs> to be involved. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Even though you cut me off mid-flow, right? I'm going to carry on now. <laughs> If you want to know more about us, including our newsletter, then head to freelancingforjournalists.com or follow us on Twitter, where we are at, at freelancing for. You can also follow us individually. I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. And don't forget to join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community. We've got 2.3. No, what have we got? 2.3 thousand? Nah, what have we got? Yeah, 2,300. Oh, it's Friday. Can you tell? Um, Anyway, there's loads of great tips and advice on there. And sometimes I make sense. So come along and come along and join it. Yep. And if you've appreciated this podcast or find it useful, you can buy us a virtual cuppa and our copy page is our pin tweet. Yeah. So as always, it'd be great if you could like, rate and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to leave us a review, we would forever be your friend. (laughs) A big thanks to our editor, Richard Wilson. Um, for all the help that he's been doing and next week will be our final episode of series three and we're going to be taking a look at newsletters goodbye Bye.